Welcome to the Palm Beach North podcast produced by the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce. My name is Noel Martinez and today's guest is Gary Lesser. He is the managing attorney for Lesser, Lesser, Landy and Smith. He's also the Florida Bar President and he's one heck of a guy. Gary, welcome to the show. Noel, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being here and looking forward to talking with you today. Well, Gary, like there's so many different questions I want to ask, right? I want to talk about your firm. I want to talk about the Florida Bar, what it does and what it's like to be the Florida Bar president. But let's start with you. I really want to give people an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So tell me about Gary Lesser. What was it like, you know, growing up as Gary Lesser? Well, it's interesting. When I grew up here in Palm Beach County, it was a small town and that's changed a great deal. But when you, when I grew up here, you kind of knew who your neighbors were. You knew what your community was, and that created accountability and responsibility. You can't pass someone on the wrong side of the road. Someone might call your mom. And so I watched my mom in particular be a community builder. And she did it old school. She did it through relationships. She invited friends to get involved with causes. I remember being a little kid and thinking, why are they having another party or get together at the house? You know, in my house, because I'm 10 years old. And I realized even then, what she was doing was bringing people together. So that's always kind of guided me, that attitude in my whole life. So tell me about your dad. So your dad was an attorney as well. So tell me about your father. What was he like? So my grandfather started our firm, and we'll talk about that. And my dad joined in 1960. My dad was a good man, passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. Great deal of integrity, a great deal of ethics, and a great work ethic. He just worked, worked, worked. When I was little, he always would say to me, son, do what you got to do. Heard that so many times. You know, when you're 10 years old, it doesn't quite resonate. But you get older, you figure out what it means. It means you work hard, you do what you say you're going to do, and that's that. He, he, was, he was a good man. Awesome. What about your wife? Tell me about your wife. I, I know you've, I've heard, I haven't met her in person yet, but I know she's an absolutely, heard nothing but great things about her. So tell me about her. I met my wife in law school, which sometimes happens in school, and I wanted to help her with her studies in law school because I was just being a considerate person. And uh, this September will be 29 years that we're married. And she's been very involved in the community and a number of different organizations. And in fact, in one year's time, we'll be named the chair of the Alfred Jewish Family Service, which, where we've been involved for many years. And she's been on the board for many years. And your kids? <laughs> Are your kids local? Uh, so I have three daughters. My big girl's 25, and she's graduating law school next month, which I can't believe because I think she was just five years old last year where she gets that from. She's a, she's a good girl and um, she's going to be a very good lawyer. And then my middle daughter is also graduating, but from college next month. And she goes to Washington University. She's pre-med, so we're going to get a doctor in the family. Great news. She works very, very hard. And my youngest daughter, Rebecca, is 17. And she's currently a junior at Dreyfus. And we're starting that whole college tour thing. And she sings and she's you know concerned about bad things in the world. And she's just really a, a, a great, great person. So what is one thing that most people don't know about you, Gary? I think the number one thing that most people don't know about me is I love live music. And no one who knows me would say, what? That makes no sense. I was going to say you love bourbon. That I know. Yeah, with that, that, that is no secret. <laughs> um, I hate crowds and I hate traffic, but I love live music. You have to deal with the crowds and the traffic to get there. There's a special power that comes from live music. Everyone is there, so people are brought together, and it's the energy that comes off a of stage. I'll take live music over studio music any day of the week. So, best concert you've ever been to? Well, I've seen Tom Petty 10 times, 
And, you know, I think I have to go with Tom Petty. I did take my youngest daughter to see Taylor Swift a couple weeks ago. I'm still tired from that. I was going to say, what was that like? That's, that um, must have been nuts. She was amazing. She played for about three hours and 15 minutes. She took no breaks, very fast costume changes, lots of energy, and she sang great. She had a whole backup band and backup singers, and she sang out a lot more than she had to. So really just a great show. Good. Do you play any instruments? I used to play piano when I was a kid, and one of these days I'm going to pick it up again. That's not an easy task. Nah. So you've met a lot of people over the years, right? You've worked with a lot of attorneys. You've worked with a lot of different community leaders. Who's had the biggest influence on you in your life? Hmm. That's a tough question. You know, ironically, if I had to think about it, I had to think it was my friend from law school, Bill Galvano, or my friend from the bar, Bill Shafino. My father would always say, wait, which bill are you talking about, Gary? Um, bill Galvano and I met the first day of law school, and we clicked. We had the same goals. We were close with our family. We wanted to get involved in the community. We both were going to get involved in the community and run for office right after graduating law school. He did that. I, I didn't do that. And I think we've been a great barometer for each other. Uh, I think in my bar journey to become bar president uh, and a lot of other things, it had to be Bill Shafino. We clicked right away when we met on the board. We loved our families. Like, my kids know who he is. His kids know who I am. Um, and he's just a hard worker and a great servant uh, to our community and to our state. And he's over there in Tampa. But probably those two guys. So in the next year, like, what are you most looking, personally, we'll talk about work in a little bit, but personally, what are you most looking forward to? You mean when I'm no longer president of the Florida Bars? We're going to talk question. about that. We're going to talk a lot about that. I think next year, I'll look forward to a little bit more sleep. It's, we'll talk about it. It's a lot of work. It's been great. And then I'm going to figure out, you know, what I can do next, where I can be impactful. I'm looking particularly about being more involved locally. This year has been statewide. It's been very helpful. I've gone all over the state, met with lawyer groups, non-lawyer groups, a lot of time in Tallahassee. I think next year I'm going to find uh, things I can focus on locally to be more impactful, including, of course, our local chamber. That's right. I love that. I love that. So you're involved in so many different things. Let, let's start locally. And of course, we're going to talk about the. I keep saying that we're going to talk about the Florida Bar because we are. I have a ton of questions on that. But why are you so engaged in the community? I mean, you do everything. You're involved in so many different boards. You're involved uh, with, with business organizations, with, with, with uh, gosh, your synagogue. I mean, you're so involved in the community. Why? Why do you do that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, my grandfather used to have all these expressions. And one of them was, every person is born into this world a debtor. And we owe a debt to our community, our church, our synagogue, or our country. And we should not die leaving that debt unpaid. And he laid that on me when I was like 10 years old. And 10-year-old me was like, whoa, that's deep. But it stayed with me. So if I see something where I can help and I can work with others to make a difference, um, I want to help. You know, I've learned, especially over the last few years, I get a little older, a little tired. People say they can't tell the difference, but I can. Um, I try to really focus more so I can be more impactful on areas where I can help. That's awesome. Well, we, you talked a little bit about your grandpa. So I want to kind of get into the firm a little bit now. Yeah. 1927, right? Yeah. That is 96 years ago, your grandfather started the firm. So can you talk to us a little bit about that story in uh Tell us, how, where did that come from? How did the firm start? And you've come along 96 years. So what has happened in those 96 years? 
So my grandfather graduated law school, um, 1921, and he, he was working as a lawyer in Rome, Georgia. That's where he was born and raised. And that was a really small town even then. It's hard to be a solo practitioner. And he would drive to Atlanta before I-75, before I-85 for a day and just ask for work, you know, for what they call piecework. And then he gets a call from one of his best friends and says, Joe, everyone's buying real estate in Palm Beach. Everyone's becoming a millionaire. You need to go to Palm Beach. So 1926, he drove down, and he soon discovered, as he put it, the first boom turned into the first bust the moment his feet left the train and hit the ground. And he tried, but, you know, you just the, the, the market at that time had hit where it was going to go. He didn't want to go back to Rome, Georgia. He loved Rome, Georgia, but he loved, loved South Florida. And he went around knocking on doors asking for a job, and no one wanted to hire a young lawyer without any work, even then. And he said, I'm going to go start my own law firm. And he was, one lawyer he met gave him a very small office in the back. I've seen photos. It's a very big closet. Um, but he thought, you know, I can help clients and I can be a lawyer. And he was a solo practitioner. That's how he started. No clients, no revenue. And he just kind of went for it. I think that generation did that. They had courage and they just set upon a path and they tried to do it. Um, and then he was what you call an old country lawyer. Anyone who walked in the door, my grandfather would help. Maybe this person could pay full price. He'd eyeball that person and decide maybe half price. Maybe that person can't pay too much because that was just what he was assessing. He would never give away legal services for free. Because A, he wanted the client to assign a value to the services they were getting. And B, he wanted to pay them respect. People don't prefer a handout. And so he was by himself until 1960. And my dad joined. And my dad was funny. He said, I never really planned on joining my dad, but I went to college and law school and came back to West Palm Beach. And there I was working with my dad. And there's a photo of my, my, my father becoming a member of the Palm Beach County Bar and my grandfather like, um, being very emotional. And, you know, I had a great job in Miami after law school, but I had to come join my dad. And that was in 1992. And since then, I kind of changed the firm from a general practice firm into a litigation firm. Uh, and my dad gave me a little bit of pushback like that first year. He was really so great about it. He knew I had to kind of find my own path. And I got to work with him for, geez, I mean, 30 years before he passed away. So I was a very, very blessed man to be able to work with him. And now we've grown the firm, still a smaller firm, nine lawyers and about 20 employees. Great. And we just celebrated the ribbon cutting of your new office last week. And I had the opportunity to kind of kick things off and, and kind of MC the ribbon cutting. And as I'm talking about, you know, the history of your firm and all the great things that you do in the community and really your partners, because you've got a great group of attorneys that work with you. I looked at you and your eyes were super watery. I had to look away, right? Because I didn't want to get emotional, right? Because I've gotten to know you over the years and gotten pretty close to you. And that like got to me a little bit. What was going through your mind at that moment when I looked over you and your eyes were super watery at that ribbon cutting last week? It wasn't allergies. I could say it was allergies. <laughs> And I've always kind of, you know, worn my feelings on my, on my sleeves. And I was just thinking about my dad and my grandfather and what they would have thought of all this and how the emphasis even then at that ribbon cutting was about giving back to the community and helping our clients. That's what, what, what drives us. When we moved offices, to obviously have the new office and the ribbon cutting, you know, leaving behind my dad's office was very tough for me. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I took his desk and all of his certificates and he still has an office there. And that's our visiting lawyer's office. If one of our lawyers from one of our other locations comes to visit or work, 
they work there. So my dad's office is still there. So I was just thinking about my grandfather, my dad, and my mom. You know, the people who come before us. We have to look forward to do things, but we have to be appreciative of those who came before us and helped shape us. So I was thinking about them. That's awesome. So tell me, let's talk a little bit more about the firm. So what sets your firm apart from the million of law firms that are out there? Well, I decided to follow the path that my first and most significant mentor followed in his practice. He did litigation with a strong emphasis on personal injury work. He did zero advertising, all referral, a lot, a lot of lawyer and client communication and interaction. No, call Sally the paralegal to speak to her next Friday. I always speak to my clients. And I saw his office and how well he treated everyone, the clients, his coworkers, regardless of what their position was. And I thought to myself, that's how I want to practice law. And so that's what we decided to do. And it's not easy necessarily to do personal injury work when there's so much advertisements on billboards and TV, but in a way that's become part of our brand. We serve our clients and we serve our community. And amazingly, that old school model still works. And someone has to be hurt who knows someone who knows us. So some might say that's not a great marketing strategy, but it seems to be working, especially if we can really help our clients. I had a whole conversation this morning with a client who's just dealing with some tough health issues unrelated to the case. And if you look at an old attorney letterhead, it says attorney and counselor at law. Attorneys have to remember that counselor at law part. It's our job not just to work on the part of the case that we think makes us money, but to help the client the whole way in the whole process. And I like doing that and all my partners are the same way. That's awesome. Talk to me about some obstacles that your firm has maybe faced and how you've overcome them. Well, I think the biggest obstacle is I always used to worry about, well, maybe the firm's not going to make it. You know, we're a non-advertising firm. And if you asked Joe, Joe on the street, what do you think of a lawyer? They're going to think of an advertising lawyer, not someone who's there to do a personal injury case or real estate or corporate or anything. And I thought, well, maybe we're not going to make it. All this advertising, it's white noise. How are we going to make it? And I'm a little bit of a worrier by nature, so you know, give me a reason. And I used to worry about that for a long time, but I'm not that worried about that anymore because I think, you know, if you do the job, then your reputation will follow you. Anything exciting going on or anything exciting coming with the firm? Any good news, any exciting news, something, some new initiatives that are coming up? At the firm, you know, we, when I'm done being president of the Florida Bar, I'm going to look to hire another lawyer or two. Uh, there didn't seem to be any utility in doing that when I was bar president because I don't have time to do interviews. I'm busy doing other stuff. But I'm looking forward to hiring another lawyer or two and bring another person's perspective. You know, we work very collaboratively. There's no one lawyer on a case. We usually have two lawyers or sometimes more depending on the case. And so it's, it's fun to bring in a new lawyer and bring them on board and to work collaboratively. So I'd say that's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to right now. Let's talk about the Florida Bar, right? Um, a lot of people don't know, non-lawyers don't really know what the Florida Bar does. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Florida Bar does? So the Florida Bar has essentially three primary lanes. Number one is we regulate the legal profession. And that's attorney discipline, that's ethics, that's professionalism. Number two, we work directly with and for the court system. The Florida Bar is literally an arm of the Florida Supreme Court, created in 1950. And we help them with the rules committee process. The only political position that the Bar has when we go to Tallahassee 
is to advocate for a properly funded independent judicial branch. It's great. And then finally, the third piece is we're here to protect the public, which is why we have our attorney discipline system. If someone has a lawyer who takes their money, the Florida Bar has a very good discipline system and other ways to make redress when there's a lawyer who's done wrong. That's why we have board certification to help the public know who's a lawyer who's taken the extra time and experience to become board certified. So we have great civics education programs. So these are things that we, we do as an arm of the Supreme Court. And it's definitely it's a lot more work than it may sound like right now because each of those three branches is a lot of work, but it's good work. That's good. So how, how does someone become the Florida Bar president and what inspired you to do that? I first got involved with the Florida Bar almost 25 years ago. I've been very involved and remain involved in the Palm Beach County Bar. And my former boss and mentor, Todd Aronovitz, um, who I mentioned before, who's the lawyer whose practice I tried to emulate, calls me up. And we were doing, we've always done work together. We never stopped working together. That was a lot of fun. He says, Gary, you should apply for a Florida Bar uh, Court, I mean, committee position. And I said, I'm not going to apply for a Florida Bar committee position. I'm a local guy. He says, Gary, you like the legal profession and you want to help the legal profession. I've been seeing you doing that you will be applying for a Florida Bar Committee. I mean, it wasn't that much of a decision anymore. So I applied and I got appointed to the Professional Ethics Committee, uh, which deals with lawyer questions on proposed conduct. I have this situation. What am I allowed to do? And so it helps lawyers and it also helps the public because we have to give the lawyers the right answer. Mm-hmm. I chaired that committee. I chaired another two other committees. I decided to run for the Board of Governors, again, at the urging of my, my friend Todd Aronovitz. So it's an elected position, right? So every lawyer in Palm Beach County voted and I had a, a three-way competition. The other two people were good lawyers and good leaders. I just wanted to make a runoff. And my surprise, I, I won clear out. So I got on the board and then I was on the board for 10 years. And then I became president-elect, but you have to run to be Florida Bar president. That's statewide, over 100,000 lawyers. So I had to run a statewide campaign. Do you have like a campaign manager that helps you, helps you do that or what? I had a campaign manager and I had really just a ton of support from across the state, including a small team that really was very helpful. You know, kind of picked me up and pat me on the back when I was a little tired. And I learned a few things. Number one, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> never. And number two, you know, you can look at the world and you can complain. Well, I, I emailed that guy I called her and they didn't get back to me. We can look at it a different way. So many people helped. So I won Palm Beach County, obviously, by like 95%. That's where I'm from. But I won Jacksonville, Duval County by 80%. That's awesome. Because I had a lot of friends up there who really worked hard for me. Uh, and when you do that, you get to meet a lot of other lawyers across the state. And that's who we're, who we're serving. So it was a great process. And I never wanted to be bar president. I thought I'd serve on the board for a few years. And then I had this idea that I suspect we'll talk about it. And I went up to the guy who was bar president. I said, listen, I'm very worried about these newer lawyers who are graduating and they're on their own. And there's no one helping them. And the Florida bar should help these newer lawyers. And he looked at me and said, lesser? What am I, back in high school? That's not a bad idea, but I'm not doing that. And you want to be bar president? Then you can go be bar president. You can do that. And I said, well, maybe I will. And then I watched other friends of mine kind of go down the path, including Bill Shafino and a guy named Mike Tanner from Jacksonville. And I decided to run for bar president. And you run for a year, then you're president-elect for a year, and then you're president for a year. So it, it's an undertaking. Are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it a lot. You're almost done. We've got, what, about a month left? 90 days, like June 1st or June 30th or May 30th? About a month and a half. Month and a half. Not that I'm counting. Okay. Um, you know, in the old days, 
you start, you could take the foot off, off the pedal in May, but those are the old days. You know, session closes May 6th. We seem to be in good shape with judicial funding. And there's a few things I'm trying to work on and wrap up. Uh, a mentoring program and a project aimed to increase accessibility and affordability of legal services. So I'm still trying to get those lined up before I'm on the way out the door. So let's talk about the legal industry, right? It, it, has, ver- it has evolved over the years, right? Um, what do you see are the biggest challenges facing lawyers today? And what is the Florida Bar doing to address that? Well, in chronological, chronological order, the biggest challenge is the law school experience. You know, my eldest daughter, Lillian, is graduating law school, and her grandfather graduated law school, my dad, 63 years earlier. And their experience wasn't really that different, absent, obviously, technology. You took the basic courses your first year, the second year, you take the more detailed courses, the third year, you take your required electives so you can graduate. Um, very few law schools have a required clerkship, internship, or experiential education. That means so you should graduate law school having some idea what it's like to be a lawyer. And that's not the case. The American Bar Association, which accredits law schools as guidelines, but they're not uniformly followed well. Some law schools in Florida do a great job. Um, They have clinics where you can help people in different areas of the law for free. So you're dealing with clients in need and the clients are getting help for free. We need more of that. Because what's happening is these law school students are graduating, and the ones, ironically, who don't have that type of experience don't get jobs at law firms. They go out on their own. And that's north of 50% of law school graduates every year. The number varies a little bit. All right, so now I'm a brand new lawyer, and I don't really know how to be a lawyer, but my cousin did a website for me, and I look great. My arms are crossed. I look very serious. But they don't know anything. And so... The idea that I had a few years ago, we're almost done building out a mentorship program for newer lawyers, three years or less experience in firms of three or fewer lawyers. And these are folks who went on their own and threw up their own shingle, which is fine. Many, many lawyers do that. Or they went in with a buddy, and that's fine. But we as the Florida Bar need to make sure that they're being their best professionally and personally. We're helping them become a better lawyer. And I think that's going to be a big difference maker. Let's talk DNI, right? In recent years, there's been a huge focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know the legal industry has really been working on that. Um, What steps is the Florida Bar taking to promote diversity and ensure that all lawyers have equal opportunities to serve? I think we're seeing at a law school level, law schools are doing a really good job with that, both in terms of the culture and the offerings. The Florida Bar has a standing committee on diversity, and we also try to oversee what everyone else is doing in law schools, voluntary bars, like the Palm Beach County Bar, the Broward County Bar. And our diversity committee, which is a standing committee, does programs throughout the year, primarily to raise awareness. Certainly, implicit bias is a constant thing. Many of us aren't even aware that we're doing it. You know, you have your your eyes open a little bit and see something from someone else's perspective. You know, you, you can see that, well, maybe there are things that we could do better. That's good. So there, we, we touched on this a little bit, right? There's been a growing concern over access to justice, yeah. right? Um, with many individuals, really, they, they can't afford legal representation. What initiatives is the Florida Bar undertaking to address this issue and ensure that everyone has access to legal services? Yeah, well, well, it's a good question because it's a decades-long problem that's now very severe. 
so severe that in Arizona and in Utah, they are allowing non-lawyer ownership of law firms and fee sharing with non-lawyers, which from my perspective is the end of the independent legal profession. But the thought, without any evidence to support it, was if you brought other actors into the legal market space, it would lower the cost. And so what we've seen over the last three years is they have a legal laboratory and a regulatory sandbox. Sounds very intelligent. Well, you know, the market dictated, as it turns out, that the non-lawyer actors went to higher profitability. And they went to plaintiff's personal injury, employment law, wealth law. Oddly enough, they didn't go to the $250 will, which is what's needed. So there are some recommendations in that regard made here in Florida. And instead, the Florida Supreme Court asked us, the Florida Bar Board of Governors, to come up with other recommendations. At the end of December, I wrote a letter to Chief Justice Carlos Minis with our recommendations. We paneled and met with the court just a couple of months ago to go over our key recommendations. There's no magic wand that will fix this problem. 80% of lower income individuals don't hire a lawyer. 60% of middle class individuals don't hire a lawyer because they can't afford one or they think they don't even need one. I have a problem with my boss. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, you've been wrongfully terminated. My landlord's giving me a hard time. And no, you've been wrongfully evicted. People need a lawyer sometimes. So the bar launched a public education program called Life's Legal Moments. The concept of we're not lawyers talking to other lawyers. It's sometimes our lawyers try to solve problems. And then you do the, the committee and then the committee does the report and then you move on. This is a public education program. We've never really done something quite like this. A website, well, big deal. It's a lot of money search engine optimization. Banner ads at The Hill and ESPN.com where research says that's where our target audience is. Why do you hire a lawyer? How do you pick a lawyer? When do you need a lawyer? Maybe when you buy your first house. You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I've had people say to me, yeah, the title agent was there. No, the title agent is not trying to help you. They're just there so the transaction closes. When you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, you should have someone there protecting you and your family. Same thing with a properly executed will. Um, you know, this is your life and it's your family. It's your belongings. And where we've seen this issue come up and we've been able to partner off with our local chamber on this issue and now some other chambers, small business owners, they signed a lease, the personal guarantee. They didn't even know that they just committed themselves personally to a large amount of money that they may not have. So people who are small business owners need to sometimes consult with the lawyer. And if they do that, they can protect themselves, their business, and their family. And uh, we're waiting to hear from the court which other initiatives they want to move forward on. We've recommended uh, less years in law school to become a certified legal intern. We're pushing prepaid legal service plans. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. I, I believe so, but let's talk more about that. So it's like an HMO. You would pay the basic plan start at $12 a month. If you are an insured, uh, go $18 a month is the luxury plan. And that is what you would pay in order to speak to a lawyer on any issue for free. Office conference for free. Demand letter for free. And if you have a problem that can't be solved in that way, the hourly rate is significantly lower. But it's a win-win. The win is it's not very much money for the client, and it's a win for the lawyer who gets paid a certain amount for everyone in his area, regardless of the number of calls. Having been a prepaid legal service plan attorney, it's not a ton of money, but it's an income stream, and it's an income stream when you're helping people, regular people, for less. So I think the court's going to greenlight some changes to make it easier to participate in those programs and for lawyers to participate. We're going to advertise this heavily. Only 3% of the market saturation rate is being hit. A 
supporting the two biggest providers. So I think we can really help people get affordable legal services. That's super. It's, it makes sense to me. So let's talk about artificial intelligence, AI, right? Mm -hmm. I'm hearing stories about people get, you know, asking chat GPT for a legal document. Yeah. What is the legal, what are you guys doing to stay ahead of the curve? Like, how are you going to outpace these computers? So as I'm sure you saw recently, the head of Google's AI division quit so he could warn that we're all in danger. And, you know, I make it sound like a joke, but it's not. Um, there was a recent headline. A woman got a phone call from her daughter. She'd been kidnapped and she was crying. It was a scam. AI was able to emulate and copy her voice. And we're going to see a lot more AI fraud. In the legal world, I'm not as worried. I think the, as lawyers, we have to not take shortcuts. So there's already programs that are offering use AI to help draft your pleadings. You still have to look at your pleadings before you file it. You as a lawyer still have the ethical obligation towards the court and your client. You can't say, oh, my artificial intelligence made a mistake. So I think it can cause some greater efficiencies, and that's good. But lawyers still have to maintain their obligations and their ethical obligations specifically to, to their clients. Great, great, great. So as a Florida Bar president, right, you really have a unique perspective on the legal industry. So what kind of advice would you give or offer to law students and new lawyers who are just starting their careers? So that's an easy one. You're going to have to work really, really hard. Don't expect to be rich overnight. And every step you take is part of your reputation. It takes your whole career to build up your reputation and one bad, one stupid decision to blow it. You know, this is not a political statement. As president of the Florida Bar, I'm not allowed to be political. But Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Barack Obama agree on one thing on this issue, that we shouldn't have a second semester of the third year of law school. That should be some type of mandatory internship or clinic in order to graduate. And you can't graduate law school unless you've had that type of experience. Many law school students are being told how much money they're going to make. And even if you don't get a job at the big firm, you're going to make a lot of money. It takes a long time, a long time to happen. I mean, I made very little money my first year when I joined my dad and very little money my second year, but I worked. That's what I'd tell them. I'd say work very hard and associate with good people. Oddly enough, the good people that I've associated with over the years, we carry each other forward. That'd be my advice to someone who's just graduated law school. That's good advice. That's good advice. So what do you see as the future of the legal industry? And what is the Florida Bar doing to prepare for that? So it's interesting. COVID and peak COVID, I think, kind of pushed things forward. I think a lot of lawyers were resistant to technology that was readily available. Zoom's not new. That technology's not new. It's been around for a very long time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you have to Zoom for most regular hearings in civil court. It's 30 minutes or less. And what that does is it also saves a lot of time and money. If I'm charging a client hourly, which I don't, do personal injury work as a contingency, but mm -hmm. for all those lawyers who charge hourly, they would drive, you know, the 45 minutes to drive and park and they'd charge for the waiting time for their hearing, their five minutes of, or 10 minutes of the hearing, and then the 30 minutes back. Now they can only charge for the actual time of the hearing. Um, it's going to make law uh, services more affordable. Um, I think that we as a profession have pivoted very well. The fact that now we're in a virtual environment for a lot of hearings, a lot of client meetings, 
a lot of my clients don't want to come and speak with me by Zoom. I'm like, you can come to the office. I'm here. I'll give you coffee or soda, whatever you want. But all of our obligations remain the same. Um, and that's what's interesting. So I think we're going to continue to see technology grow and spread, but our ethical obligations remain the same. We had a big ethical issue that came up about 10 years ago. What do you do if you as a law firm want to take your practice management software and your practice to the cloud? What do you do? So question went to the professional ethics committee, which I used to chair, and they issued an opinion saying, that's fine, that's technology, but you, the lawyer, have to maintain your ethical obligations. You have to make sure it's double encrypted. Your client information is what you owe to keep confidential as part of the attorney-client privilege. So I think if we hold strong to our, our ethical guidelines and ethics rules, the profession will evolve and take care of our clients. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, that's tons of information. So I want to end this with one last question, and it's not an attorney question. It's nothing. It's not a legal question. It's not a Florida bar question. <laughs> it's a Gary question, right? So Gary Lesser right now today gets to go back and talk to Gary Lesser, Lesser in his senior year in high school. What kind of advice or tips would you give little, little Gary? <laughs> well, first of all, to all my high school teachers, thank you for being patient with the high school age version of me. That I would have loved to <laughs> meet me, high school version of Gary Lesser. I had great teachers at Forest Hill High School. Um, and, you know, they're the ones who'd yell at you, but they'd yell at you because they didn't want you to slack off. Mr. Trotsky was notorious for letting students get a, a wake-up call if he thought they were working hard enough. Um, what I would tell younger me is enjoy that dark hair, buddy, because it's going <laughs> bye-bye. Um, and then I would tell younger me, work hard, work hard, associate with good people. And most of it's going to work itself out. You know, I never had any goal of making so much money or achieving anything. I just wanted to do a good job and help people. And I think if people can be focused on that, things will work out pretty well. Oh man, you're 100% right. And you know what? You're good people. And I really appreciate it's my friend. everything that you do for the community, for the Palm Beach North region, on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. And I really appreciate your support there. Um, you're just, you're good people. I, I feel the same way. I want to be around good people like you a lot too. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. It was awesome. I learned a lot. Hopefully you had a good time. I enjoyed being with you. Well, I appreciate the invitation and a good conversation and look forward to doing a lot more work together. Thank, Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it.